Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Michael Beller, and we are in another episode in our Beat Writer Roundtable series. This one is in the AFC North. Should be a really, really fun competitive division. We're going to start things off with the team that is the favorite to win this division, the Baltimore Ravens. To do that, we bring on our Ravens Beat Writer, Jeff Zrebic. Jeff, what's going on? How you doing? My pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, this is a team that, um, yeah, obviously there are some new faces in here. There are some guys who are gone, but it all starts, of course, with Lamar Jackson. And, uh, you know, we've heard some reports going around this summer about Lamar maybe playing a little bit more under center this year. In the fantasy world, we love what he does with his legs. And obviously in the real world, the Ravens also love what he does with his legs. We know that's not going to be something they take away from him. Of course, that would just be silly, and we're not even trying to suggest that, but are there any substantive changes uh, to the offense if Lamar does indeed end up playing a little bit more under center this season? Well, you know, I think you'll see some more play action. Um, anybody and everyone involved with the Ravens, and, you, you know, you always have to be careful because, uh, you know, the, the, some of the top teams uh, clearly want certain stuff out there. You know, uh, a lot of the teams don't want... Uh, you know, anything out there that's going to give them an advantage or give teams preparing for them advantage. So when a team is that outward and, and that vocal about what they want to see, you always have to wonder, you know, how, how legitimate is that? Are they just saying that for the fans or are they kind of doing a smokescreen? Uh, but yeah, you know, they did too much this offseason not to think that taking more shots downfield and creating more chunk plays in the passing game uh, is not a, a priority for this team. I, I mean, we've seen it for two years now. They're, they're going to run the ball against anybody, no matter who's there, who's up front, who's running the ball, whether it's Edwards, uh, Dobbins, you know, Mark Ingram when he was here, Lamar Jackson, even Justice Hill's been reasonably productive when he's run. Um, but they just haven't been able to get enough big plays in the passing game uh, when it's counted, particularly in the playoffs. So, yeah, I think the major change that you look for um, is just and, – and I think they have the receivers to do it a little more – is them to try to create more plays down the field in the passing game. Well, let's get into that backfield here for a second because you mentioned Mark Ingram gone, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards back, and we saw that pairing be really, really effective for the Ravens in real life in the second half of last season. And what we liked about it in the fantasy world was that both guys were effective running the ball. They both put up their stats. They obviously got in each other's way in that it wasn't one of them handling 100% of the touches, but they didn't get in each other's way in that only one of them was able to be productive at a time. Do you think there's any major change in how the Ravens deploy those two guys? Is one of them, and I suppose it would be Dobbins, going to pull way ahead? We know Edwards is still going to have a role even in that scenario, but does that end up happening, or is this still going to be something along the lines of what we saw in the second half of last season in terms of the workload split? Yeah, I think it will be more uh, what you saw in the second half of last season, but I mean... Moving on from Ingram, and this is all with all due respect for Mark, I, you know, I thought them trying to involve three backs held them back for last year, held their running game back. You know, they kind of handled J.K. Dobbins with kid gloves until later in the season, and their offense was just different when he was kind of featured more. So, you know, I think ultimately he's going to be the guy. He's, I mean, you look at the numbers from last year, and I think when you count catches – 
Dobbins and Edwards were separated by like one touch. I think Gus Edwards had one more touch than J.K. Dobbins. Um, I don't think that'll be as even. I, I, my guess is Dobbins is, is sees more of the ball and is more of the 1A, and, and Gus will be the 1B. Um, but I think in terms of changes, you couldn't watch a, an offseason practice without seeing them try to get J.K. Dobbins the ball in the passing game. And they just have not involved their running backs and did not involve their running backs in the passing game enough last year. Mm -hmm. For some reason, Lamar Jackson sometimes looks uncomfortable or unwilling just checking the ball down. Um, And, you know, they have they have the ability to do that. I know Dobbins struggled a little with his hands last year. Something he's worked on. It's looked it's looked good throughout the offseason practices. Um, I think they took him to be the guy. Um, But. The guy in Baltimore is not the guy in another, you know, in another organization. Uh, you know, Greg Roman always wants to rotate his backs. Mm-hmm. But I do think having just the two guys, and I don't want to completely discount Justice Hill. And obviously there's been some buzz about the Ravens signing Gurley. Uh, nothing yet. Um, but I think just those two guys will really help because the amount of time they run the ball, there's plenty of room to get both those guys the carries that they need. Yeah, absolutely. Even with Lamar taking what he takes off the table with what he does in the running game, definitely plenty of room for those two guys. And hey, in the playoff loss to the Bills, uh, that was that was Dobbins' biggest game as a receiver last year. Three catches on five targets for 51 yards. So in the fantasy world, we are hoping that that is a sign of things to come because if he can add that to what we know he's going to do on the ground, it could really be a leap forward sort of season for J.K. Dobbins. Bumping out to the wide receiver position, Marquise Brown, we've yet to see him take that next step, that next step. He can maybe even count 2020 as a tiny bit of a regression season. This team added some bodies at the wide receiver position, used the first-round pick on Rashad Bateman, brought in Sammy Watkins from the Chiefs. How do you see this uh, shaking out, specifically at the wide receivers? We'll get to Mark Andrews in a second here. Yeah, you know, um, Marquise Brown flashes just enough for you to be still excited about him. You know, he kind of does enough, especially in the playoffs. I mean, he's been in their three playoff games the past two years. He, he's, you know, arguably been their best offensive player on the field. He's shown up in all three of them. Um, and, it, and it seems like also there's an effort to get him involved in those games early, which you wonder, why doesn't that translate more into the regular season? Why isn't there more of an effort to get Marquise Brown the ball doing different things rather than the same stuff they run with them. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, not as a, a top guy because they're, you know, the they're not going to change completely the way they run their offense. Um, so I don't think you're ever going to get the volume with Marquise Brown as long as they have this offense. But I think the other guys will open up things for him. You, you know, I know there's injury questions about Sammy Watkins. They don't need him to be Sammy Watkins when he was, you know, when he was previously playing for Greg Rome under Greg Roman in an offense and catching for over a thousand yards. I, they don't really need that guy when they also have Andrews and they have Marquise Brown. And, you know, Bateman looked very good. It's always, I I always advise to be skeptical of the Ravens' young receivers just because for all the work they've done in in drafting and developing and they're considered one of the gold standards organizations in those areas, it's not been good at receiver. We all know that, and they don't play in a wide receiver-friendly offense. So, uh, But I think Bateman can play. I think he'll contribute immediately. Um, and I wouldn't discount like a Duvernay as the fourth guy. So, yeah, I think those guys will help Mar- Marquise Brown, maybe take some pressure off him a little bit. Uh, we all saw last year, I mean, defenders would come out right out and say it. If you took away Andrews uh, in the middle and Marquise Brown in deep, You've t- you stopped the Ravens' passing game. They didn't have much else to worry about. I-, I think Sammy Watkins can still work in those intermediate areas. He has good hands. Um, you know, you're not going to get 16 games out of him. I think we probably know that. But he can still do some things. And then you add guys like Talon, Talon Wallace, the rookie, and, and DuVernay, which brings some speed. Um, you know, I think they'll all help uh, Marquise Brown do some work. You know, not number one receiver work. I think, you know, you have to look at how the Ravens play and how they run their offense. Uh, but I think he can be a reasonably effective player, and I could see him definitely taking a step forward this year. A uh, guy works his butt off. He wants to be great. He just has to be a little more consistent. And the onus is on Lamar Jackson and Greg Roman to get him the ball more as well. 
Mark Andrews has been a picture of consistency for this team the last couple of seasons. Uh, really pretty pretty close to identical seasons in 2019 and 2020. Took a, a statistical step back in 2020, but still gave you 58 catches, 701 yards, and seven touchdowns across 14 games. Basically exactly what you were hoping for in the fantasy football world, so long as you had realistic expectations. Uh, we'd have to ask this question. I think we all know the answer to it. Mark Andrews comes back as the number one weapon in the passing game, yes? Yeah, I think so. You know, the way Lamar has shown a clear uh, fondness for tight ends, throwing to tight ends, um, you know, they don't have that number two pass-catching tight end um, to take away potential targets like they did two years ago with Hayden Hurst. Um, You know, maybe Josh Oliver, the guy they got from Jaguars, helps in the passing game, but they just don't have that complement to Andrews in a pass-catching role. He's in a contract year. He's been in great shape. Um, You know, he's in a contract year, I should say. Um, You know, I I still, you know, I look at him as one of the, you know, top five receiving tight ends in the league and and their top weapon. And I don't think that'll change. He's great chemistry with Lamar Jackson where he doesn't even need to be open and Jackson trusts him to throw him the ball. And you can't say that for a lot of their receivers. So, um, yeah, I expect uh, more of the same for Mark Andrews. Uh, You you know, he's going to be motivated with that contract. You know, he, he wants to be a paid and, and and he deserves to get paid with how he's produced. Part of a small group of tight ends who are pretty comfortably the best receiving weapons on their team. One more question here for you, Jeff, before we let you go. Our partners over at BetMGM have the Ravens with a win total over under of 11 and the over a tiny bit of a favorite at minus 120, obviously in the new 17 game world that we live in getting over 11 is a a little bit easier than it once was, but still 12 and five would be one hell of a record. Are you on the over for this team or the under? I'd probably say under. Uh, Just their schedule is so tough, you know, and uh, it's they do certain things really well. They're very hard to prepare for. Yet you still wonder, you know, the more the more it's out there, can they adjust? I need to see them adjust a little offensively. You know, defenses will adjust. You know, defensive has has, defenses have had more time to kind of create their personnel and, and, and get personnel to match up with them. Um, you know, I think they'll be a really good team. I think they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender, uh, but their schedule, and I do think from a defensive standpoint, you have to ask the question, who's who's going to rush the passer? Who's going to get to the quarterback? I know they blitz more than any other team in the league, but you still need guys to win, uh, you know, during the season without having to send everybody. Um, you know, even the good secondaries, the best secondaries, and I think they're, they have one of those uh, that's in that mix. They're going to get beat if you don't get pressure on the quarterback. So I'm a little concerned about their pass rush, and I want to see how they adjust offensively. Um, and when you count, when you add in those questions along with, you know, the, the schedule and how difficult it is uh, and the number of guys that they have coming off major injuries and no none bigger than left tackle Ronnie Stanley. Um, you know, I would say I would say slightly under. That's the right number, though. I, I do agree with that. It feels like a fair number for a team that has legitimate Super Bowl aspirations and once again contributing at least a superstar or two to us in the fantasy football world. That's Jeff Zrebic, our Baltimore Ravens beat reporter here at The Athletic. Jeff, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Pod. My pleasure. Thanks, Michael. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
We move right along here on the AFC North edition of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast's Beat Writer Roundtable to the Cleveland Browns. And to talk Browns, we bring on our Browns beat writer, Zach Jackson. Zach, what's going on? How we doing? Good to be here. And we're doing good, maybe uh, even as good as the Browns were doing in 2020 and as good as they project to be doing in 2021. An exciting year for this team in the real world and in the fantasy world as well. In the fantasy world, the biggest player on this team is Nick Chubb. And I think people make a little bit too much out of Kareem Hunt because we've seen Nick Chubb alongside Kareem Hunt be just fine. The way I'll put this to you is that last year, Chubb had 15.8 carries per game and one and a half targets per game. Kareem Hunt, 12.4 carries per game, 3.2 targets per game. Would you expect any meaningful change to that division of labor? No. um, And Michael, it is a complicated fantasy question, right? It's like Mm -hmm. a first world problem for Kevin Stefanski, but like... Based on talent, I would take Nick Chubb at the top of almost any fantasy draft in any format anyway, right? But based on um, the rotation and the way that they're used, I mean, Kareem Hunt is a part of this offense, right? He is not a backup running back. He is a part of the offense. Um, I think it's 2-1 to one or 3-1 to one in terms of how they script it in terms of series, but uh, he has a role in the passing game. He is not as powerful as Nick Chubb, but he's darn powerful on his own. And why wouldn't you use those guys? Especially because last year, I think, as the tight ends um, became a little less reliable as season came on. Like, Kareem Hunt was reliable. And you go back to his first year, a lot was wrong with the Browns. But you know, he was coming off the suspension. He had off-season surgery. By the time he came in, the ship was, was on its way to sinking. Whereas last year, he started anew. He was healthy. And here comes this coach and this new O-line and everything. And it was like, oh, my gosh, we have these two uniquely talented weapons why wouldn't we use them both so uh, my answer is yes I do not expect much of a deviation from that split in terms of both guys getting significant action and both guys getting scripted to rest at certain times too yeah you know Nick Chubb I think if you I think you're right if, you, if he's alone in this backfield we're probably talking about him with the very top of the top with Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook rather than the back end of that RB1 group where he's being taken more along the lines of guys like Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones but still uh, a very effective running back we saw that last season both these guys being taken as top 24 running backs and being taken pretty comfortably as such uh, the quarterback Baker Mayfield he's got to be pretty excited because he's finally got a little bit of continuity in his Cleveland life with everything carrying over from the 2020 season to the 2021 season. Those of us in the fantasy world are still looking and wondering if maybe that next level season exists for Baker. Uh, What would that look like? What does a step forward for Baker Mayfield look like this season? Well, I I think the step forward for Baker and for the Browns offense is, is just the fact that he didn't really find traction until the back half of the season last year. And it was the lack of continuity. It was the weather to an extent. It was just a lot of things. A couple games just went off the rails early. Um, one I think was kind of Baker's fault and one that wasn't, it just didn't go their way. And then in the back half of the year, he clearly was more confident. Stefanski was clearly more confident in him. Um, they let it rip to some wide open guys. He let it rip in some really tight windows he has a ton of arm talent. He has a ton of confidence, and he shows you when he's feeling good, right? He doesn't hide much. His body language says it. So, um, yeah, I think the ingredients are there for Baker to really deliver again. Now, in the fantasy world, I don't know. You know, they want the defense to be better. They don't want to play these fifty to forty-five games, right? Mm-hmm. They want to be in position to where they they are aggressive to a point, but they want to use this offensive line. They want to use those phenomenal running backs. They don't necessarily want Baker to throw 35 times, right? I think they would love Baker to throw 19 or 22 times uh, in a a lot of games. So, you know, what does a great season look like for him fantasy-wise? Well, if you're counting on the Browns' defense to stink again, right, or you're counting on the the run game to take a step back. But but I do think Baker will have a good season. I think he's positioned nearly as well as any quarterback in the league. And when you look at really the malpractice of the organization of of the constant change and the way he was treated early on in his career. Mm -hmm. Like if he's going to deliver big numbers um, and and he's really going to be a week in week out guy you would rely on, then this is probably the year uh, that that would happen. 
definitely got the foundation for it, it seems, with a very good team, that strong run game, the line that you've referenced a few times, and some pretty darn good weapons out wide. Let's move to those guys, and let's start with Odell Beckham. Uh, he hasn't been the Giants' Odell Beckham in his couple of seasons with the Browns. I think his downfall is a little bit overstated in the fantasy world. Obviously, last year, injury limited limited him Excuse me, to just seven games played. Uh, but with him coming back, healthy this season is there is there something of the Giants version of OBJ that this team can pull out of him yeah I think so you know I hesitate to say 100 percent for a couple reasons one he is coming off a major injury even though he's an athletic marvel and is way ahead of rehab we haven't seen him go through it right and two Mm -hmm. it kind of the same with Baker like there's so many guys on this team um Odell can dazzle and he can make that play. Do the Browns need him to do that all the time? You know, we don't know. There were a couple of games last year where they intentionally got him involved early. It obviously went a lot better than it had the year before when they were forcing him the ball, and he showed that. So then in late October, he got hurt, and he wasn't there by the time the pass offense came around. So, you know, we see it in practice. We've seen it over the two years. I think in in games and glimpses, you've seen – that wow Odell Beckham and I think that's really the only way he knows how to be I just am a little hesitant because I mean you're talking about an ACL right on a 28 year old wide receiver and you're talking about coming back and it's not like the number one goal of this team is for Odell to get 115 catches it's for Odell to eventually you know get them to that next level they couldn't throw the ball down the field at times in the in the playoff game and that was part of them losing and part of them failing um, in, in the red zone and so, you know, I, I think it's in there in Odell, and, and I think he will have a great year. But could I say that you draft him in the third round of a fantasy draft or you treat him like you would as the fifth, sixth, seventh best receiver? No, I can't say anywhere close to that. Yeah, and fantasy managers aren't saying anywhere close to that either. He's going more like wide receiver 25, 26, right. which still has him about a full round if you're talking about a 12-team league ahead of his uh, running mate, Jarvis Landry, pretty remarkable uh, considering everything that Landry dealt with on his body last season, that he only missed one game. This guy uh, is one of the true week-in, week-out guys in the NFL. Always been true of him going back to his rookie season in 2014. Uh, These two guys, clearly the top two uh, out-wide pass catchers. Obviously, you're going to have Kareem Hunt with a pretty large target share in this offense as well. But just looking at Beckham and Landry, how would you expect the target share to divvy up between the two of them? Well, I would say that Jarvis is absolutely Mr. Reliable. I would say that he is the receiver that Baker looks for the most and trusts the most. And he's missed one game in his career, Michael, and that's what you just referenced. And it wasn't for injury. It was for contact tracing on a crazy thing where a linebacker had COVID and was in the hot tub at the same time after Saturday practice that the wide receivers were. And so Jarvis just keeps on going, man. And and he catches nearly everything. Um, he's not just a slot receiver, but he is one of the top you know, intermediate slot type guys that there is. Um, you know, I'm more than a casual fantasy player, Michael, but during the season, it's hard to be, you know, all the time and be into everything. I would just say this. I was on vacation a couple weeks ago and doing a quick best ball draft on the beach while I had a couple drinks and two things stuck out. Jarvis seemed to be there way too late. I think a lot of people missed the boat. And just in general, it was like, man, I don't know how the running back thing goes. I don't know how the adult thing goes. But late in those kind of drafts, especially, I want pieces of this Browns offense. You know, Higgins, Mm -hmm. Peoples-Jones, Beckham passed the fourth round. Like, somebody's going to blow up. I can't sit here and say who it is, but there are enough pieces in place. And starting to me with the whole offensive line coming back, for this again to be a top 10 offense and potentially, you know, top five, four, five, six offense. Best ball, you're speaking our language here on the Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to have to have you on more often. Yeah, you know, like I said, I I follow it, I do it, um, you know, and I just, that is probably the one thing. I was half paying attention, just picking some guys, right? Uh And I want to say it was round eight or nine and Jarvis Landry was still there and I I could not wait to get him. So hopefully I end up winning that dollar league or whatever it is and (laughs) and, uh, become a profit. (laughs) I've got three best ball drafts active right now. So, uh, you know, you know, you're in welcome company here on the fantasy football podcast. Uh, Hey, let's talk about those other wide receivers. Is there anything more? And by more, I mean, in terms of just share of the offense for Rashard Higgins or Donovan Peoples-Jones this season? You know, Higgins is interesting. Um, Multiple Coaches and regimes have benched him and seen him as a four or five wide receiver. And, 
you know, even last year he was a game day healthy scratch. And then all of a sudden he was in and he was making plays. And he's a precise route runner. He catches almost everything. Uh, Peoples Jones has star potential. He really does. He's really big and really fast and 22 years old. And the first two games last year that he made an impact, he was an on-the-spot call-up. You know, crazy things had happened with injuries, and he went through the whole week not being in the game plan, but he was out there in the third and fourth quarters, you know, jumping over people or or running wide open uh, on some things. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of, like, if it's a PPR situation and you feel good about your receivers, you want to ensure yourself – Rashard Higgins is going to get opportunity sometime in this season for the Cleveland Browns, and he's going to have five and six catch games. But if you're looking for that crazy upside late and you know not knowing what might happen with Beckham or Landry as they get older and all, all this stuff, I mean, Peoples-Jones, I can't say he's going to be a star, Michael, but I will not be surprised in future summers when we're having this conversation and, and you say, this guy is a star. Always looked like he had something of that in him during his days at Michigan. Would love to see him get a little bit more run for the Browns this season. Uh, you referenced right at the top that the tight ends were pretty unreliable for this team last season. You still got them all back, right? Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, David and Joku for the time being all on the roster. Is there anything more to this position group this season or should we expect it to be basically the fantasy afterthought it was a year ago? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, in, in real life, the tight ends are really important. Kevin Stefanski runs a tight end friendly and tight end heavy offense. Austin Hooper is an excellent blocker. Uh, and the other guys, I think, complement not only each other, but the offense well. You know, in reality, with all this talent and all these touches, when you talk about fantasy stats, um, Hooper's just not going to get open down the field, right? And it's not mm-hmm. going to be a Falcons situation where they're always trailing and dumping off to him because Julio's getting double teamed and Calvin Ridley's getting double teamed, right? So um, I do think that that Baker and Austin Hooper have developed a chemistry and a trust, and I do think there will be some concerted effort to get him involved. Um, I just don't know that he can really run. You know, and Njoku can really run and can catch anything, but, man, he can drop anything too, and he's never been consistent enough to get those snaps. So Harrison Bryan, I thought, for a rookie, looked really good early in the year. Um, he got a case of fumbleitis. He, he missed some time from COVID or from contact tracing and wasn't there. And then all of a sudden he was not a non-factor at the end of the year. So, you know, I don't think the Browns ever saw him as a superstar, but I think that they, they right now, you know, going to camp here soon, I think they see Austin Hooper as their number one tight end, but they see roles for those guys and, you know, just draft them late, I guess, in your fantasy draft and, and see how it shakes out. Because I don't think there's going to be designs for any of those guys, you know, to be getting a certain number of targets or certainly to be putting up, um, you know, huge yardage numbers. All right, Zach, and let's wrap things up with this. Our partners at BetMGM have the Browns win total over under set at 10.5 with the over being a slight favorite, checking in at minus 120. The under is plus 100. Over 10-5 and five means 11-6 and six season in this inaugural 17-game season for the Browns. Where you at? Do they get over that mark, or do they fall a little bit short, which I have to say would be considered a little bit of a disappointment, unless, of course, they go 10-7 and seven and still make the playoffs. Yeah, no, you know, I'm not at the odds makers. I My initial pick tonight, the schedule came out, was 10-7. and seven. Um, This is a really, really good offense, probably even better than last year's numbers indicated when you look at, um, you know, the COVID stuff, the way that they were so behind early in some of the weather games. I still have questions about this defense. I think it will be better. Um Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are, are a headache and a comfortable and confident Baker with a with Stefanski calling the shots. I mean, I won't be surprised. Uh, I won't be shocked if they win 12 or 13 games. I, my slight lean is under, but I think they're right there in that 10, 11, 12 win range. And I think it's them and the Ravens um, for 18 weeks, uh, you know, chasing that, that AFC North title. Yeah, this is going to be, I think, a really fun battle between the Browns and the Ravens. It's one that uh, seems like you could play to script with the AFC North with those two teams being separated from the Steelers and the Bengals. That's Zach Jackson. You can catch him all season long covering the Browns and on our Browns podcast, Civilized Barking. Zach, thanks for joining us today on the Fantasy Football Podcast. Talk to you soon. Continuing along here in the AFC North on the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast, we bring on our Steelers beat writer, longtime Steelers beat writer. You're going to be hard-pressed to find anyone who knows this team better than Mark Kabali. Mark, thanks for being with us on the Fantasy Football Podcast. 
Thanks, Michael. How you been? I have been good, and I am very excited for this season to get here. I love this time of year. Love where we are in the fantasy football calendar, the real football calendar. Just a very exciting time for a football fan, and I think that holds true for Steelers fans. Great defense, good to great players at pretty much every single skill position. It all hinges on the aging quarterback and a questionable offensive line protecting him. So let's start with those two things. Give us just your read on Ben Roethlisberger's general status heading into the start of training camp. Well, I think he looks good. I mean, he looked good through all three OTAs in minicamp as in throwing the ball. And there was some question about some of his deep balls last year. And it's, you know, it, it was it was a struggle at times. I mean, a lot of it had to do with himself and that elbow and some of it had to do with some of his receivers, I think he's looking as good as a 39-year-old quarterback with bad knees and reconstructive elbow can be. But that, that's not the part which you have to worry about Roethlisberger. I mean, it's the first time in basically his career, or at least definitely over the past nine years since Todd Haley took over, I believe, in 11 or 12, that they have a totally new offensive scheme and wording. That's the stuff you have to worry about with Roethlisberger. That stuff is is what he was just so in tune with. He didn't have to think about. It. He knew uh, what the other, what the offensive coordinator and what they wanted to do, like the back of his hand. That's a little bit different this year with Matt Canada. That's what makes him an interesting look at this year because we're not quite sure what's going to be asked of him. I mean, we're we're assuming that it's not going to be what it was last year. You know, in the 600 passes in 15 games, I mean, if you're going to get to that point, it's not going to be a pretty season for him. I think he has all the abilities still left in him to be a successful quarterback. And what's strange to me, Michael, is people view that last couple of games where he did struggle as a sign of him just to being absolutely, you know, falling off the cliff. He did throw for nearly 4,000 yards. He did have 30-some-odd touchdowns, you know, low single, low 10, 12 interceptions. He had a pretty significant year with an offensive line that didn't allow him to hold on to the ball more than 2.4 seconds, a 30-second-ranked offense, a bunch of wide receivers that he barely ever played with to drop the ball. So I think that the revisionist history is saying that he had an awful year last year. He didn't. He actually had a pretty solid season that finally got caught up to him at the end there. So uh, I like the I like what I see out of the guy. So I, I guess it's just going to depend on you know everybody around him picking it up. I think that's going to be the key. Everybody else is going to have to jump, step in, and be able to do stuff that they weren't able to do last year. And that starts with running the ball. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get to that. Let's get to the offensive line too. We know it was a, a line that really put uh, Roethlisberger in the entire offense in bad spots last season. How are you expecting that group to shape up this year? you saying the offensive line? I guess it can't get any worse, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> However, <laughs> when you got basically five new starters, there's going to be five new starters in at least different positions this year than there was last year. And I wish somebody would be able to tell me if that has ever happened from year to the next year in NFL history. I find that hard to believe. There's not one guy that's played next to the guy next to him ever when they line up here on, you know, later in the week here uh, for training camp. So, like I said, they it, what it is is they're trying to instill a physical style of uh, blocking, as in run blocking, aggressiveness, something they didn't have last year, and it's due with with scheme. And how they teach, how they want their offensive linemen to play with new offensive line coach Adrian Clem. And they have the people to fit that. I mean, uh, you look across the board, and those guys are pretty much known for their physicality. Zach Banner, right tackle, he can mix it up. Trey Turner's historically been a guy that's going to you know, maul you if you have a chance here. The rookie Kendrick Green at center. He was known to do that from time to time at Illinois. Kevin Dotson at left guard is a monster. I mean, he, he just, I mean, in college, he used to tell people where they're running the ball just so he can knock them over and laugh at them. So he has that <laughs> mentality. Question mark at left tackle with Chooks core for. But if that group, which is, like I said, totally different, and you don't even know who the center is going to be, it could be J.C. Hass now, it could be B.J. Finney, 
I mean, that's not very good in itself right there. But it's a total different look, a different scheme, a different mindset. And uh, I guess the benefit of, of that is they have a much better running back behind them where they're not going to need a much of a way in the, of space to allow him to do what he does. But if you're looking at one position where they need to have somebody step up or it could be the undoing of the entire team, it's offensive line. Because you got a bunch of 27-year-old guys that have a combined 225 career snaps as a Pittsburgh Steeler at the position they play at. Yeah, that, is, that is incredible, and it's going to probably be uh, a large part of writing the story of the Steelers' season. Let's talk about that running back, Najee Harris, first-round pick, first running back selected in the 2021 draft. We've talked about this a lot with Mike Tomlin at the helm of Pittsburgh. Go back to Willie Parker, to Le'Veon Bell, to D'Angelo Williams stepping in for Le'Veon Bell, to James Conner, uh, every single Pittsburgh team, when they've had the opportunity, they have used a back as a workhorse. Is Najee Harris just the next guy in that line? I think so. Um, you know, running backs have a short shelf life as it is. So if you're getting four to five years out of Najee Harris, and if you're getting a six-year with a franchise tag, you better, you're looking at already 28, 29 years old when they start to decline. There's no use wasting a year, right? Let's just throw him out there and see what he can do. I mean, Tomlin's been pretty consistent over the years when in terms of rookies and trying to prevent them to hit that, you know, rookie wall. I mean, he did it last year with Claypool. He knocked some snaps off of him at time to time. He didn't have a ton of snaps last year in comparison to the top receivers in the league. He would do that to Bud Dupree back in the year, but I don't know if he can afford to do that. I think he might get caught up with the talent of Najee Harris and how much of a gap there is between him and maybe the number two guy, if it's Anthony McFarland, if it's Kalen Balage, if it's Benny Snell. There's a big difference there. So yeah. especially with Najee Harris, he's a stud. I mean, I was skeptical of the pick it being 24th for a guy that's going to be on your team for four to five years. You see him out there, and just in shorts, you're like, oh, this guy's different. And don't sleep on him being a guy that can catch 50, 60 passes out of the back. Not even – he's very similar to a Le'Veon Bell type, in my eyes, as in catching the ball. He's just not going to be a guy you're going to dump the ball to. He's a guy that they're going to try to create matchups with on the outside and throw him the ball. I mean, he's that talented. And when you have the guy that talented on first and second down, you can keep him in on third down. Man, I think they're going to get enamored with him and realize that this offense is going to have to rely on him heavily. So, I mean, a 1,000-yard season, a 60-catch season out of a rookie Najee Harris is not out of the question in my point, in my point of view. Yeah, uh, fantasy managers right there with you, Mark, already treating him as a late first, early second round pick, getting selected along the likes of Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, guys like that. So already lofty company for Najee Harris before he has even played a down in the NFL. At wide receiver, meanwhile, we've got three guys who are clumped right together on ADP charts in fantasy rankings. Try to make sense of this for us in terms of how the targets shake out among Juju, Chase Claypool, and Deontay Johnson. Oh, yeah, you even have to throw a little bit of James Washington in there. It's going to take some some catches away from him. Don't forget about Eric Ebron and Pat Fryermuth look great in training camp as a tight end. I mean, in, in OTAs and minicamp, you're going to have to spread it out there. But, yeah, to me, out of the three, the one that has the biggest upside, I think, would be Deontay Johnson. He can do a little bit of everything. I mean, you can't press the guy because he'll go around you. He got enough quicks to, to run some in the slot and be able to c catch and run the ball. He got good hands. I mean, people might shake their head at me when I say he got hit good hands, but he makes some good, nice catches. He just had a uh, three or four week span where it got caught in his head and he dropped about nine or ten passes. I still think he has pretty decent hands. But, you know, there's always a question mark now because when you got the new scheme, a new offensive coordinator, you don't really know what he likes and how he's going to align these guys. I mean, in the past, I could tell you what Randy Fickner was going to do, what Todd Haley was going to do. I don't quite know because they kept it under wraps a lot in the OTAs and the minicamp of how they're going to really 
if they're going to do a little bit of the offense from last year, if they're going to throw some of the Matt Canada type stuff with the, you know, the end of rounds and the jet sweeps and, and, and stuff like that. I think it's more going to be a mix. So I don't think Juju, I know Juju talked about he wants to move outside. I don't think that's going to happen because he's by far, I think his best position's still in the middle. If he's a 10 yards per catch type of guy and a 10 touchdown guy from the slot, who can block out of there? I'm I'm good with that. And Claypool, I mean, he came on last year and was able to make those big plays. I don't think out of those three, and it's not going to help anybody in fantasy. Is and you saw it last year, one week Claypool puts up monster numbers, you start him. Then next week Deontay Johnson puts up big numbers, you want to start him, and all of a sudden. Juju puts up big numbers. I think that's where it's going to be this year. I don't think there's going to be one guy they really rely on. Unless it's a point-per-catch league, if that's the case, then Deontay Johnson's the one who's going to get the 130, 140 uh, targets in this season. Yeah, when you look at these guys, if you have any one of them, you're probably going to have to start them and just live with the ups and downs that are come with having two other really talented teammates at the same position. Last question here for you, Mark. This might be the low, uh, the lowest number that we've seen on the Steelers in a while. Coming from our partners at BetMGM, a win total over under of 8.5, and, and considering the 17-game season, is just lower than we would expect from the Steelers in the Mike Tomlin era. Over is a little bit of an underdog as well, coming in at plus 105. Where are you at on this team? They go over that eight and a half, or are they coming in under in what is shaping up to be a pretty challenging AFC North? You you know where that number comes from. The number comes from the strength of schedule. they got the yeah. toughest strength of schedule, and I am not a big proponent of strength of schedule because so many things can happen between yeah. April when it's, or May when the schedule was released to October, and who, who would have thought that you know they played Baltimore last year and Baltimore had half their team going. You just don't know. I mean, it looks bad late in the season because they got like four out of five road games against tough teams. I think they got to go to the Rams and the Vikings and the Chiefs and Ravens within a four-week span. But I, I still like the over. I, I really do like the over. It's the defense is, for the most part, intact. And you saw how good they were last year. They got skill positions all over the place where they're just loaded at. You would, you would see, you just have to be, it's going to depend on, what we said earlier, it's going to depend on the offensive line and the quarterback. I really, really think Roethlisberger is more than good enough to be able to lead this team. I mean, Peyton Manning alike in 2015, but Manning really didn't do much in 2015 to a greater degree than that. So if they can get this any semblance of an offensive line together, because I like Matt Canada. I like what he likes to do. I think that his schemes and his unique way of putting together a game plan, what we saw all these years in college, is going to benefit this team. He, he knows how to find matchups, and that's how you have to win games in the NFL. I think you can't underestimate his addition and Adrian Clem, the offensive line coach, who just wants to – He's just pushing, knocking people's heads off and stepping on them and goring them. That's what they want to do. If they're capable of cobbling together even a decent offensive line, I think they're I think they're easily over. I think they can win ten games this year. I would go over. It's like card sharks. Give me the over. Hit me until I go over, right? And just hold. Give me the over. I mean, I'm not sold on. I'm not totally sold on Baltimore. Baltimore lost a lot on defense. I mean, yeah, Cleveland's talented, but until Baker Mayfield shows me he can do it for a season rather than a couple of games, I'm skeptical. And mm-hmm. if you're really going to look at Cincinnati and say they're they upgraded across the board, yeah, but they still got a quarterback coming off a major knee injury that's played like nine games. Yeah, yeah, major knee injury that happened in November. So uh, it's uh, it it. it, it it, it's certainly going to be tough, and it's going to be, I think, one of the funner divisions to watch. And certainly the shape of that offensive line, I think, is going to really determine how things go for the Steelers in a real-life perspective and how we are looking at these guys in the fantasy world. That's Mark Caballi. He will be all over the Pittsburgh Steelers for us here at The Athletic all season, starting with training camp a little bit later this week. Mark, thanks again for being with us on the Fantasy Football Podcast. All right, anytime. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. 
from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We move along here in our AFC North roundtable to the Cincinnati Bengals and Jay Morrison, our Bengals beat writer. Jay it's going to be a fun team this year, I think, in the fantasy world. Uh, maybe a much more fun team in the real world, but we've got a lot of top-end talent on this team in the fantasy football world. Of course, that all starts with Joe Mixon. I feel like Joe Mixon, from a pure fantasy perspective, one of the uh, more underappreciated players of his NFL career because there's just always been these huge expectations for him that, frankly, he hasn't met, but he's always been very good just hasn't punched through for that great season. Now we're hearing all these declarations from Zach Taylor. Joe Mixon's not coming off the field. Gio Bernard is in Tampa. He's going to be our do-everything back. You are an expert on this team. You have been very close to this team for a long time. So how much do you buy all those declarations and the fact that we could get a monster RB1 season from Joe Mixon this year? Uh, I'm sold on it. I I think that will be the intent. Um, I don't know if he's going to be do everything. They they are really high, not to kind of shift the focus here, but the, the rookie six-round mm-hmm. pick, Chris Evans, out of Michigan, they love that kid. They love his hands, just how comfortable he looks in the passing game. I don't know if he's going to get the the load that Geo got, but I, I think as the season goes on, we're going to see more and more of him, especially if the Bengals are in contention and they start maybe doing some load management with Joe. But I I think we're going to see Joe's biggest year. You, you talk about he's never really – broken through uh, uh, the main thing he has to break through is his own offensive line they have not had a good one since he's been here and it's not going to be good this year well it's not gonna be great this year it'll be improved there was really no other direction for it to go but they did make some moves in the offseason um i i think it's a step in the right direction i don't I don't know that they need that line to be great with all the, the weapons that Joe Burrow has, but yep. they need it to be average. And, and I think they can get there. And, and a, a big thing that, you know, maybe fantasy players don't pay attention to, but there's a new offensive line coach. It's not just the new offensive lineman. It's a new offensive line coach. Jim Turner just never worked out here. Um, they brought back Frank Pollock, who was the coach here before Jim Turner came in and, Joe Mixon was so excited about that. And the offensive linemen that were here when Frank Pollock had his one season here, Marvin Lewis's last year, were really excited about it. I I think we're going to see this offense be much more balanced than it was last year. I think that would be the case even if if Joe Mixon just stayed healthy and even if you didn't have the change of offensive line coach. But bringing a guy, a veteran coach like Frank Pollock in, keeping Joe Mixon healthy – I think you're going to see a more balanced offense, and that's not to say that they're going to it's be 50-50. They're not going to throw the ball a lot. They're still going to throw the ball quite a bit, but it's not going to be like last year where they just threw Joe Burrow back there 40 times a game, it seemed like, and, and kind of exposed him to all that risk that eventually shut down his season in, in um, November with the injury at Washington. I'm going to take us back to Joe Mixon for a second. Just as a receiver, 55 targets is the career high. Uh, Last year, he was comfortably pacing to beat that 26 targets in six games. I think we can safely assume he breaks the career high. He gets past 55 targets. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to assume that, though. Uh, If I told you the over-under, if I was setting it at 60 and one-half targets, would you say over that or under that number? Hmm. I I think I would go under just because of of Joe's – injury history and and what I said earlier about them really liking Chris Evans but honestly I probably wouldn't take the bet I would if I'm if, if I'm if I'm say if I'm just picking with nothing on the line I'd go under um and just a slight lean that way if I was if I was actually betting money I wouldn't touch that line um, because I think he could easily go over if he stays healthy mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't it wasn't like it was 
what you would expect it to be with a rookie quarterback last year with a lot of checkdowns. I mean, he was he was a factor in he was a designed receiver, and and you saw that with Joe Burrow at LSU how much he loved to throw to Edwards Hilaire. Um, he really does like using the back out of the backfield. So it, it wasn't just a product of leaky line check it down to to mix in that he was he was really involved in that in that passing game, and it was week six when he got hurt. So we only had five and a half games, and you're right, he was on pace to shatter that. Um, if he stays healthy, good chance he goes over. But you, you just always wonder because Joe Mixon, is he's struggled with injuries the last couple of years. All right, let's go on to the other big Joe on this offense, Joe <laughs> Burrow. Uh, recovering from the injury, as you mentioned, uh, can you just give us an update? Is there any reason to think that this could be something that lingers? Any reason? Is this just full go Joe Burrow week one? Yeah, I mean, there, there's not been a single hiccup along the way. They they have just been so encouraged at every step where everything's going great. And, and really, we saw when Zach Taylor came in, he made some injury prognoses or prognoses, however you say that, with, with some key players, it, Joe Mixon being one of them last year where they thought it was only going to be a few weeks and ended up being season-ending, A.J. Green the year before when he never played at all. And so, so Zach's kind of – been gun shy to to put timetables on things so all at at this point they've just said from the get-go we think he can be back for the opener there's no reason to think he can he he, i I think he could play in the preseason if if they wanted to just shake off some rust i don't think they're going to expose him to that risk but i i see no reason to think that that joe burrow won't be under center uh in the opener against the vikings and he put himself at 85% um, in OTAs, and, and the only reason he wasn't at 100 is because he he kind of backed off the rehab and, and focused on the on-field stuff. And then once OTAs ended and minicamp ended, then it was back to the rehab to get that knee back to 100%. I, I wouldn't doubt Joe Burrow when it comes to anything. Um, injury yeah. rehab's a little different. You know, it's, it's kind of out of your control. It's, it's, you can work as hard as you want. And sometimes there's setbacks, but there's no reason to think he won't be a hundred percent. Now, is it in his head? If he doesn't play in the preseason, what's it going to be like in week one when all of a sudden he's, it's not like OTAs where there's nobody around him whatsoever. They weren't even, they weren't even putting running backs in the backfield in OTAs because they're worried about one wrong step or a slip and somebody colliding with him. He was doing everything out of empty sets. It's going to be a lot different with live bodies around him, and you it, it takes anybody with an ACL recovery to to kind of get over that mental hurdle hurdle a couple weeks. But I I wouldn't back away from Joe Burrow based on the injury. I, I the the O line would be a bigger concern to me than the injury would be. No one's going to confuse Joe Burrow with Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or anyone like that, but he did run for 142 yards and three touchdowns last year. Because of this, does he pull that back a little bit? And there's not a ton of room to pull it back, right? I mean, did it over, what, 10 and a half games. But still, could it be something that comes out of his game a little bit, or is it just going to be Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow? Yeah, I think it comes out of his – I think it would have come out of his game anyhow, just the maturity. He he, he was able – to do that, get out of pocket mm-hmm. in college and put spin moves on guys. And you saw him have some of these great runs in college. <laughs> he tried that a couple times early in the year last year and got <laughs> blasted. And I, I think he learned a lesson there. Um, it, it is a great arsenal. His first career touchdown was yeah. a run in that opener, right. um, a long run. I think it was 30 some yards, but I, I, I don't, we're sir. I seriously doubt we're going to see designed runs. Um, whether things break down and he's willing to to take off out of pocket, I, I think he'll be cautious. I don't think you're going to see him trying to put moves on guys or taking hits. He's mm-hmm. he's going to be much more aware to get down this year. So I, I wouldn't expect a lot of yardage from him in the run game, and I wouldn't expect a lot of you know one yard TDs down at the goal line, anything like that. But um, it, it I think it'll still be a, a small part of his game. He's not just going to be a a Tom Brady type back there where. You, you get, you know, maybe 15, 20 yards of the whole season. Yeah, the big part of his game is going to be, I think, a lot of fun this year. We saw the emergence of T. Higgins last year. We saw the emergence yeah. of Tyler Boyd a couple of years ago. And everyone very excited about the addition of Jamar Chase. Obviously, a very good relationship with Joe Burrow. So, 
how do we look at this? How do we assess this? Right now, uh, you've got uh, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase going very close to one another in early drafts, right around the wide receiver 25, 26, 27 range. And then you have to go down about 10 receivers or so before you find Tyler Boyd. Does that feel fair? Is it going to be Chase? Is there going to be a pretty even split among these three guys? I mean, how do you assess this going into training camp? Yeah, I just wrote a story about this. I talked to Zach Taylor, I talked to Brian Callahan about what their ideal split looks like, and they want it to look like it looked last year, target-wise, not catch-wise. Last year, they had three guys, Higgins, Boyd, and A.J. Green, all between 100 and 110 targets. Well, you, you know, the end product was not equal at all. I mean, right. Boyd, 79, Higgins, 67, A.J. Green, 47 catches. That's not what they want. But they do want it. Mm-hmm. They do want all three of those guys to be in that 100 to 110 target range. I don't think you're going to see any of them having the, the low production that A.J. Green has. So I, I think if those guys are drafted where if, – if that's the right spot for T. Higgins – and, and for Jamar Chase, then Tyler Boyd is being drastically undervalued because I, I think yeah. he's going to get as many targets as those guys. And he's he's so just – he's maybe the best – he's one of the best slot receivers in the game. He may be the best third down receiver in the game. Um, he got doubled a lot last year on third downs because A.J. Green was so unproductive. That's not going to happen this year. Um, it's it's going to come down to who gets the targets in the red zones. In the red zone, that's where it's really going to show up. And, yes, you've got that great connection with, with Jamar, Chase, and Joe Burrow, but a lot of those were deep balls over the top. He really started developing something with T. Higgins um, in the red zone last year, and it was kind of slow to develop because T. Higgins was hurt in, in training camp. And it, it, it he, he really – Joe Burrow really established something with Tyler Boyd early so you he's going to pick right back up where he was with those two and he's got this pre-existing relationship with Jamar Chase and don't forget CJ Uzama the wide receiver he also had a great connection with Burrow it only lasted a game and a half before Uzama tore his, his Achilles but I think he's going to be a big part of this as well um, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see how that shakes out because it it may be up and down as the season goes along but I think at the end of the year you're going to look and you're going to see those three wide receivers are all going to be in that 100 110 target range. Yeah, this Cincinnati team, one of a handful of teams that has three very usable week-in and week-out wide receivers for the fantasy world. Jay, as you and I are recording this, we are still a couple weeks out from the start of training camp. What's the one thing, if you can only pick one thing, that you're most interested in seeing with this team when camp begins? Yeah, I mean, it's not anything that fantasy players are going to be interested in. It's going to be the offensive line. It's it's going to be... Hey, that matters. It does matter. And they <laughs> they drafted in the second round Jackson Carmen um, out of Clemson, protected Trevor Lawrence's blind side as a left tackle, has never played guard in his life, and they're sticking him at right guard to start his NFL career. So that's, that's going to be a big deal. And then left guard, um, that's where... Michael Jordan played last year, and Michael Jordan, the sack was on him that ended Burrow's season. Um, he, he's going to be in the mix to start. I, I, I think it's going to be Quentin Spain's job, but it, the, those are – even Jackson Carmen is not a position battle. They, they're pretty much handed him that job. Um, so it's it's going to come down to the, the one big position battle on this team is going to be left guard. And even in training camp, it's hard to assess what an offensive line looks like. Fortunately, this year there will be preseason games, so it'll be about halfway through training camp when we really get to see uh, what these guys look like. But that that is going to be the big question for this offense is, is can that line hold up and, and not have Joe Burrow running for his life snap after snap. Yeah, definitely something we want to see with how excited we are about Burrow, Mixon, and all three of these receivers. Want to see the line protect the quarterback, give them time to do their stuff down the field, give Joe Mixon some room to run. Last question here for you, Jay. BetMGM has the Bengals installed at a win total over under of six and a half. You're going to get a little bit of a uh, little bit of an odds boost if you go over plus 105 there. You're going to take on a little bit of juice if you go under at minus 125. We'll just treat this as a straight up minus 110 over under six and a half for the Bengals this season. A tough division. Those four, six games against Baltimore, Cleveland, and Pittsburgh, certainly no cakewalk. Where are you at with this team? Yeah, I'm going over. I, I just think that the way the schedule lays out, where it, it looks a lot easier early on, and usually, you know, you never can really tell. You think the teams are going to be good or, and they end up being bad, and the teams you think are going to be bad end up being good. But if that's the case, that plays out later in the year. You kind of know early in the year what teams are. I, I think this team really has a chance to get off to a fast start. And if they do, you've got 
Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase came in and said he's going to break every record this team has. You've got these young, <laughs> brash, confident guys. And uh-huh. if all of a sudden they go into October and, and they're four and one, four and two, whatever it is, you could really see this thing kind of taken off. And then it does look like a murderer's row at the end of the, of the year. But maybe some of those teams we think are going to be really good that they'll be facing in December won't be. Um, and you have the extra game this year, 17 games to, to get to seven as opposed to 16. I just... I I would if I wasn't covering the team I would put money on that on <laughs> on the over for sure if if people out there are wondering you have my full endorsement I I would definitely <laughs> hammer the over uh, this year I think six and a half is a little low. You can live a little bit vicariously through me, Jay, since I don't cover uh, these teams the way that you do. I, I I have sort of a an indirect bet on the Bengals here. I've got the Steelers to finish in last in the yeah. division, and uh, and the Bengals to uh, jump up at least ahead of them and finish in third or better. So uh, so hey, we're riding together a little bit, and uh, Jay Ma- Jay Morrison always here to ride with our fantasy managers covering the Bengals. Jay, thanks so much for all the great intel. All right, great talking to you, Mike. And all right, that's going to do it here. That's going to put a bow on our AFC North episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast Beat Writer Roundtable. We thank all of our AFC North Beat Writers for being with us on this episode. And we thank you, of course. We hope that you are loving this Beat Writer Roundtable series as much as we are enjoying doing it. And hopefully it's getting you ready for the start of training camp and also for the start of fantasy football draft season in earnest. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back with you soon. 